they were saying that if they can remanufacture electrical devices from old electrical devices, they could make an 80% cost saving from not having to depend on a, a new raw material supply. And when you look at that through the lens of supply chain disruption and the silicon chip shortage and all these other topics, it becomes very quickly a, a no-brainer. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is the Climate 21 podcast, the number one podcast showcasing best practices in climate emissions reductions. And I'm your host, Global Vice President for SAP, Tom Raftery. Climate 21 is the name of an initiative by SAP to allow our customers calculate, report and reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. In this Climate 21 podcast, I will showcase best practices and thought leadership by SAP, by our customers, by our partners and by our competitors, if they're game, in climate emissions reductions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice to be sure you don't miss any episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Climate 21 podcast. My name is Tom Raftery with SAP. And with me on the show today, I have my special guest, Stephen. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, Tom. Uh, great to uh, catch up with you. I'm yeah, Stephen Jamieson, Global Head of Circular Economy Solutions here at SAP. Fantastic. And Stephen, for people who might not be aware, can you just explain what are circular economy solutions or what is the circular economy? We hear a lot about it. And how does that help climate? Yes, well, you know, this is a, a really key topic in the overarching kind of climate agenda and indeed the waste agenda, as you'd expect. Mm. Really, for circular economy, we're aiming to do three things. We're aiming to eliminate waste, how to circulate materials, keep products in use as long as possible, and how we regenerate natural systems. And ultimately, it's about how we employ these three techniques in, in order to be able to ensure that we're both utilizing resources as productively as possible, but we're doing it in such a way that we're actually tackling things like the climate agenda. 45% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions come from how we use and consume products. So it's a huge topic and a huge opportunity area for us to address. Uh, and it's also a very addressable topic. You mm. know, much of the world's waste is designed and we have the opportunity to design that waste out. And that's exactly where we're coming from as SAP. Interesting. The last two episodes of the podcast, incidentally, were kind of circular topics. They were both talking about biomethane uh, and they were both solutions where people were capturing uh, methane from waste and then using that, turning that into a fuel for kind of a double whammy. Yeah, well, it's one of the key opportunity areas. Uh, and I think a lot of people associate circular economy as uh, what we describe in the discipline as a sort of technical material uh, cycle. You know, the, the plastics and glass and metals, the materials that you associate as products. But so often a lot of the negative consequences of, of consumption come from the use, misuse, the way we are using our, the food in our in our in our system, agricultural feeds and and so forth, and so having mechanisms to both utilise the waste food that we generate as a society, but actually more importantly, how we can adapt our diet and adapt the way that we uh, consume food at the outset will have a much more meaningful impact on the way we are um, on the impact that we have on the environment. 
so if you think about the consumption of food first off mm. you know, look at the the use of of cereals for example uh, something like four ingredients uh, or four different cereal species that we use in the vast majority of our agricultural system which actually makes no sense if you think about it that's not how nature is designed it's not particularly how our our own digestive system is designed yeah and so you know we as as individuals have the opportunity to really adapt our our demand for food our consumption of food something that's much more uh, varied but also something that's much more reflective of the ecosystems in which we live or in spain tom i'm sure the kind of the ideal ecosystem of for you to consume in spain is perhaps different to the one that i may be consuming in london mm. uh, and i think as as individuals and as people we should be thinking about these topics a lot harder in in the weeks and months ahead if we're truly to become sustainable in the way we're approaching the food system yeah leads to better food security as well you got to think the whole mediterranean diet that you refer to is is well known for, for health benefits not just sustainability what's happening what's new what's interesting in the world of circular right now well, it's a, a deeply uh, fascinating and fast-moving world, and there's, there's many things uh, that we could talk about. But I think a couple of things that are of real interest in the in the recent weeks. Firstly, we had the UN mandate for a plastics treaty mm. that they signed in the UN meeting in Nairobi on the second of March, and this is fascinating. You know, we've had Harris for climate for you know a number of years now. And um, there's been a common acceptance that there's a clear link between CO2 and and climate degradation. Yep. The same hasn't been true for, for plastics uh, until now. And a few things have happened in recent weeks that have really accelerated the agenda. So first, we've had some scientific research published in the first part of this year, which really looked at the fact that novel entities have now been proven to have overshot planetary boundaries. So what does that mean? That means the 35 or so chemical substances, which are essentially hazardous to human health, which include plastics, are in such high production now and with such limited reuse that they are essentially ending up in the natural environment and ending up in the, you know, the food system and the way that we are uh, consuming food ourselves. So what's that? what that has helped to spark alongside an amount of uh, other momentum across business and across uh, 170 nations is now a, a mandate to create essentially a plastics, a Paris for plastics, which is great news for all of those of us who are working in this space and mm. very keen to see a kind of level playing field come together where all businesses are able to operate on the knowledge of a certain level of understanding and assurance about the way that plastics will be will need to be managed as part of a circular economy. So that's probably one of the key things. I think more locally, I'm here in the UK, and uh, we've just gone live with our plastics packaging tax on the 1st of April. Any organisation producing more than 10 tonnes of plastic each year will be liable for the plastics packaging tax. And if you are unable to demonstrate that you've got 30% recycled content, in your plastic packaging, mm -hmm. then you'll be liable for £250 a tonne by way of a fee. And this is a complex problem. This is something that our customers are trying to work out right now. It requires an understanding of, of materials and complex materials across complex packaging concepts. And it requires an understanding of 
where those materials have come from, the importing of those materials, where those materials are sold. Fortunately, SAP is in a really unique position to be able to help answer those questions. So yeah, that's one of the key things we're working on right now. How are we in a unique position? Just the ability that we have across our ERP systems to be able to not just understand the materials themselves used at point of sale in terms of each of the individual components and layers of a package, but also how you can then bring that together with import, export documents, sales documents, and be able to understand that kind of full life cycle of that products of material as it's come through an organization. And so as SAP, with our amount of that data at our fingertips, we have the ability to be able to help our customers in answering some of those tricky questions. So that's a focus now we have in the UK. In the end of the year, we'll have Italy and, and Spain go live with their plastic taxes. We have the new mandate and regulations in Ireland. And so um, we're, we're very active and helping our many hundreds of customers around the, around the region and around the world who are looking to answer these questions right now. So the legislation that you're referring to in Ireland, Stephen, is the new, it's not a tax, it's a levy, as far as I understand it, on tea, disposable tea and coffee cups in the likes of places like Starbucks, etc. So that if you go into a Starbucks, is my understanding, or a, another coffee shop and you ask for a tea or coffee, if you bring your own cup, there's no problem. If you get a disposable cup from that outlet, you are charged an extra 20 cent, I think it is, per cup. And the, the thinking behind this is similar to the thinking behind the plastic bag levy that was put on. I think Ireland was the first country in the world to levy a price on disposable plastic bags. Uh, I think it was five cent at the time and it caused a 95% drop in the usage of plastic bags. So I think Ireland is looking by now putting a 20 cent levy on disposable tea and coffee cups to have a similar drop in the use of disposable coffee cups. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, isn't it? Because mm. anecdotally speaking, you know, if I take the UK where I live, the, the example around the plastic bag tax here, yes, we did see a, an enormous drop in the use of the disposable bags. But what we have also now seen is a, a huge increase in the highly durable Highly, um, the bag for life thing. Yeah, bag for life, and you know, it'd be interesting to see the actual comparison between looking at the full life cycle of those bags mm. in comparison. All these innovations need to be welcomed. Let's let's make that clear. But you know, I think the the, the risk comes from seeing these things as silver bullets. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think where where these sorts of initiatives have real value is when when they're accompanied by other innovations. There's some great startups at the moment, you know, in, around the world, where prototyping or even piloting uh, in a scale-out mode, you know, multi-use coffee cups and Oreos and local collection points. And um, there's some really exciting organizations that are sort of blazing that trail at the moment. So I think the answer comes from a, a kind of a multitude of approaches and, you know, alongside cons consumer uh, awareness and, and behavior change. Okay. Anything else new and interesting happening in, in the circular world at the moment? We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. 
Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Well, I think the uh, we just returned from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation uh, network meeting where we had sort of 450 of the world's sort of more progressive organizations driving the circular economy agenda. And I think one of the big topics at the moment is this idea of of regenerative business. And, you know, I think for a long time we've talked about the circular economy in the context of how do we eliminate and how do we reduce and how do we make make things less bad? And I think what where the, the thinking is now going is around, well, how do we actually just flip this entirely? And how do we how do we be regenerative by design? How do we make sure that from the outset, the materials that we're planning, the food that we're consuming has regenerative principles baked in at the outset? And this is a fascinating space. What's clear is you know, this is a topic that regenerative farming, for example, you know, it's been discussed in, in the sort of agricultural circles for quite some time. Yeah. But now we're sort of raising the the horizon, if you like. We're now looking at this in terms of, well, what about technical materials? What about building materials and, and, and plastics and glass and all these things which we haven't traditionally seen of as needing to fit within regenerative constructs before now? And actually, when you look at the world's biodiversity loss, you know, 90% of the world's biodiversity loss comes from primary resource extraction at the end of the day. The impact that technical materials has on biodiversity and on our ability to regenerate nature is really significant. And also linking to that report I mentioned earlier about exceeding planetary boundaries with the um, novel entities, there's a real inter- interchange between uh, and a correlation between technical materials or plastics indeed entering the natural environment and then those materials and polymers ending up in our food supply system. And so, you know, how we look at this holistically, how we can start to provide transparency on this, how we can start to show, you know, tell this story uh, to end consumers and help end consumers understand the the impact of their decisions in terms of ultimate land use uh, and how their decisions can support regenerative, a regenerative economy overall. Mm-hmm. For me, these are the really key questions in the years ahead and and how we move out of these very kind of siloed um, approaches that we've seen to sustainability for so long, looking at, you know, individual topics within individual geographies. So, Stephen, can you speak to any outcomes you've come across, any great news stories from the kind of circular economy space? Yeah, well, I think there's a huge amount of activity at the moment across the business world in this in this space and so um it's hard to sort of pick on uh, an individual success story mm-hmm. but i think what is we are seeing you know we launched sap responsible design and production towards the end of last year and we're now taking our first customers through their you know adoption of that solution and what we're seeing is really encouraging you know we're seeing major cpg companies who produce many thousands of tons of materials in many kind of key locations around the world who are now really getting to grips with an understanding of their of their packaging and of the materials that they're selling in a way that they've never had access to that insight before. And then when com- combine that with the voluntary commitments that organizations are making at things like the uh, new plastics economy, global commitment, the 14 plastic packs around the world, we're able to really start to help organizations to get the insight they need in order to drive the action around design 
that helps to eliminate waste and circulate materials and regenerate natural systems, which is ultimately the foundation stone of a circular economy. But it's early days. One of the key areas that we're also exploring kind of in parallel is it's one thing to be able to support organizations to do less bad and to be able to support those those objectives of, of eliminating waste, et cetera. But actually, it's when we start to look at the overall system that real progress and acceleration happens. And so we're working on some really fascinating programs at the moment, doing a lot of work with the World Economic Forum, with GPAP initiative, the Global Partnership for Action on Packaging. And we're currently exploring a number of um, really interesting collaborations in the Global South that not just look at the role of business, but look at the role of business in the context of the downstream system. So how do we collaborate with policymakers, infrastructure providers, citizens and consumers at the end of the day, the people that the ecosystem of individuals and people that will actually come together to create solutions and address the 4.9 billion people in the world that don't have access to waste management infrastructure. We are forging an inclusive approach that helps to address uh, this on a holistic level. So yeah, that's just some of the things that we're working on and um, hoping to accelerate from there. Cool, cool. You you reminded me of a quote I heard, and I can't remember who made the quote now, but it might have been Bill McDonough or something like that. But he basically he said that there's no such thing as waste. Something that's referred to as waste is just something that's in the wrong place. I'm paraphrasing wildly now, but... No, that's absolutely true. And uh, I think that's the great riddle of the circular economy, but also the great opportunity. You know, and this is where the likes of you know digital systems and business networks are so valuable in terms of making those connections between people that have material that's in the wrong place and people that need that material in the right place. Excellent. Yeah. What's next? What's what's coming down the, the, the road? I mean, we've talked about the, the plastics legislation in the, the UK and Ireland. We've talked about the UN commitments. What's what's the next big thing that's coming? Well, I think that there's, there's a number of horizons, if you like. You know, we've got the, the longest term, which is how do we make this shift happen? How do we accelerate, enable this shift to a, a regenerative business uh, landscape in a circular economy? And uh, there are many hundreds, thousands of businesses around the world, technology leaders around the world who are making sense of, of this opportunity right now. And, you know, I think that, that that will be the biggest opportunity area, I would say, over the next next decade or so. Beyond that point, you know, we're looking at some very practical things. We're looking at how do we really accelerate the regenerative design or the circular design agenda. There are some very practical parts of that. Like, how do you assess the recyclability of a particular material in a particular location? You know, there are many thousands of different data points and different data providers around the world that can pro provide insight on that topic. Uh, and so how we can make sense of that for business and make it actionable is going to be a real, really key differentiator going forward. So lots of very practical topics to address, really fascinating innovation happening in the material space. Some uh, great organizations and the innovators and startups that are exploring the intersection of you know, AI and materials creation and some really exciting areas there that we're going to be you know, keeping a close eye on. And so, uh, yeah, I think there's a, a lot to do and a, a lot of exciting you know, opportunity for 
the business world to really lean into in terms of finding solutions here. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of the business world, you would have to think that ruling out circular initiatives would lead to cost savings, because if you're using less primary resources and if you are either giving your waste to somebody else or selling your waste to somebody else or making more use of what would have previously been considered waste in the past, that's got to help your bottom line, no? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was speaking to a, um, a, a electronic component uh, manufacturer just the other day, and they were saying that if they can remanufacture electrical devices from old electrical devices, they could make an 80% cost saving from not having to depend on a, a new raw material supply. Wow. And when you look at that through the lens of supply chain disruption and you know the silicon chip shortage and all these other topics it becomes very quickly a, a no-brainer. And actually, some, a lot of the times, the only, the only things that we actually need to overcome are the, the buyer, the consumer, the customer's sort of fear of you know, having something that isn't brand new. Yeah. Even though you know, a remanufactured device, you would never know. You have, you, there, there'd be no uh, compromise in terms of quality. There'd be no compromise in terms of service. It would look and feel the same. But, same same you know, warranty. Yeah, and, and I think that so much of this is is also about how we work with people. I had the other day, we need to we need to get away from the idea of being consumers and to the idea of being custodians because this is what we are, are doing at the end of the day. We don't con- we consume food. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to stop thinking about consuming material goods and uh, how we're custodians for those materials in the longer term. Cool. If organizations want to start embracing circular initiatives, what would be initial first steps? So I think there's some very practical things that you can be doing. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation is a wealth of resource that we work with closely. We're filling out the circulitic circularity assessment, for example, is a great starting point to be able to understand kind of where you're at in the journey and what some of the opportunities might be. We're also working with some you know, fascinating partners at the moment in this space who are doing some interesting work to support that sort of diagnosis and assessment. You may have seen recently, we just announced a partnership with BCG, for example. They've got a tool called Circelligence, which looks at the kind of the operational opportunities you have in order to um, address your own circularity opportunities. So there's plenty of help out there and plenty of subject matter to, to work with. I think on just a very practical level, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this might not be a business leader that's looking to kind of reshape their product portfolio, but might just simply be an employee in a business that wants to do a bit more. And there is a wealth of local opportunities. I'd thoroughly recommend checking out Shift.how, a platform that we built with the ocean activist Emily Penn. Uh, Many thousands of opportunities on there. Got a little Qualtrics-based search tool on there, which helps you to uh, find solutions that fit your your particular role in the world. But there's uh, yeah, no shortage of opportunities to make a difference. Fantastic. Fantastic. Stephen, given all we've talked about, are you optimistic for our future? That's a big question in the current context with Ukraine, etc., in the backdrop. Mm. Purely through a circular economy lens uh, through a will we solve this great materials conundrum uh-huh. will we solve this great food conundrum 
I'm actually genuinely very optimistic. You know, as I said, I was at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Network meeting last week. Pretty much any big business that you could name is there. They're leaning into this. They're actively looking for solutions. The right thinking is leading the the topic, if you like, at the moment. So I, I think it's a question of how and when rather than a question of whether. And that's good for all of us because yeah. whether you're one of those businesses or whether you are a, an entrepreneur or a startup that is looking to go into the space, and that means there's a lot of great new opportunity for everybody to um, make a business success out of this opportunity for a regenerative economy. Superb, superb. Stephen, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. Is there any question I haven't asked that you wish I had or any aspect of this we haven't touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of? I don't think there is actually, Tom. I think we've covered a lot of ground today. <laughs> Great. Um, so uh, thank you for your time and uh, thank you for having me today. Not at all, not at all. If people want to know more about yourself, Stephen Jameson, or about circular economy or any of the things we talked about in the podcast today, Stephen, where would you have me direct them? Well, have a look at our, our website, sap.com forward slash CE, and you can find a lot of the team activities on there. Or check me out on LinkedIn. Plenty of... Uh, updates of uh, the work we're doing through that channel as well perfect perfect Stephen that's been fantastic thanks a million for coming on the podcast today thank you Tom thanks for having me okay we've come to the end of the show thanks everyone for listening if you'd like to know more about Climate 21 feel free to drop me an email to tom.raftery at sap.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter If you liked the show, please don't forget to subscribe to it in your podcast application of choice to get new episodes as soon as they're published. Also, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really does help new people to find the show. Thanks. Catch you all next time.